Welcome to the Subject Composition and Light Photography Podcast. Show notes, links and contact details can be found at robnunphoto.com. That's www.robnunphoto.com. SCL is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network and loads of other great tech podcasts can be found over at www.techpodcast.com. Now on with the show. Hi everybody and welcome to SEL, the Subject, Composition and Light Photography Podcast. It's the 14th of April 2013 and this is episode 218, believe it or not. And I think I've actually done three episodes in a, in a row over three weeks, haven't I? Gosh, I'm being too consistent. That's because basically I was on holiday for a week, went back to work for a week, and I've been holiday on holiday for a week again. Um, the first week was just using it as a holiday. This one was to be off while Oliver was on school holidays, but luckily Suzanne was off as well, so I've had a bit more time on my hands to do various things. So today, what I thought I'd talk about is what I've been up to over the last week or so, and a little bit about depth of field as well, because. I've had uh, some interesting questions about depth of field and I've done a video on YouTube as well. So I thought it might be something interesting to revisit. Obviously if you if you're totally au fait with depth of field then by all means when we get to that bit just turn off. Um but maybe there might be the odd thing that you learn or you might listen to me and think actually Rob you've forgotten something and send me an email about it. scalespeed@gmail.com. Right. So what I've been up to well this week um I was. Uh, I decided, right, I'm going to go out on a night shoot um, to finally kick my bottom into gear about practicing with uh, coloured gels, coloured filters on my on my flashes. And I've been spending far too much time looking at eBay and second-hand camera websites, looking at different types of cameras. You know, because I'm still thinking, now, do I get a 550D second-hand? Do I get a 600D new body because they're about 400 pounds on eBay, but 400 pounds on Amazon? Do I go full frame and buy a second-hand 5D Mark One body for about 400, 450, or do I even go for something like the um, 1D Mark Two Model N, which is really old? It's only eight megapixels, but it's one of the pro sort of Canon cameras that can shoot at like I think it does almost nine frames a second. So you know, I've, I've got, you know when it is when you get into that mindset of buying, you think, oh, you're going to buy something. I mean, to be honest, I haven't got any money anyway, so <laughs> it's not like I can. But you kind of get sucked into the cycle of every day, thinking, oh, I better check eBay, see if there's anything on there. So anyway, to get me out of doing that, I um, thought, right, I'm going to go out on a night shoot. When I say night, it was more of a dusk shoot, with the idea of going around to Fort Brockhurst. Um, well, I went actually. I went down to Leon Solent, uh, Leon Solent first, but they're going out with my flashes and illuminating something with my flashes, um, and putting a coloured filter on the front of my flashes to give it a funny colour. 
and to see what happened. You know, kind of inspired by, I can't remember the name of this guy, but there's, there's lots of people actually do it on the internet, well, all over the world, where you do painting with light, and not necessarily using flashes, but you'll... The, the classic ones tend to be like in America in a plain graveyard, and they'll go around and pop coloured flashes at different points. So they use a long exposure and just run around and pop lots of different coloured flashes to light everything up lots of different colours. I didn't want to do exactly that. I didn't want to be doing a long exposure and doing stuff. I wanted to be doing one exposure, a two hundredth of a second, for example, and then just firing one or two flashes with coloured filters on to, to do it. So I got my kit together, got my 350D, got my, um, I think I took the YN565 Yongnuo flash and one of the others, can't remember which one it was, got my Strobis Roscoe gels with the addition of the little um, bits of sellotape on the end so I could sellotape them to the front of the flashes and my wireless triggers and promptly went out. Went down to Leon Solin to go down to the beach because it was also, there was also a chance of a sunset but getting down there, you know, the sun went behind these huge clouds and that was it. No chance of a, a half-decent sunset at all. So I thought, well, I might as well have a little bit of a play with the flashes. So I fired them off just to get used to the system uh, again uh, and using it outside. So I've used the wireless flash system, the um, uh, system I've got quite a few times inside, but not really outside. And I was just playing around and trying to light up these... Uh, <laughs> what's left of what's called these groins and <laughs> a groin is basically like a a, a, a a sea break almost but imagine you're on a beach and there's fences that are going out perpendicular at right angles to the beach into the sea and what they do is they stop all the stones or the sand from migrating too far along the beach it kind of keeps the beach all together it's a form of sea defence uh, and they're called a groin but they don't really get maintained that much anymore in the UK. And so there's just these posts sticking out. So I was trying to light them up with that. Not very successfully because they weren't very big. Um, so I thought, Ooh, what am I going to do? So I thought, right, let's head on down to... Um, uh, that. There's some more fortifications around by Stokes Bay. But I got there and I thought, well, they're not very big to be honest. I thought, no, let's cut to the chase. Let's go straight to Fort Brockhurst, the local fort that's right next to where I live. And, you know, in my mind's eye, I could see the main gate on the bridge and firing some strobes at it. So I got down there and it was still still light, but I knew if I was shooting at um, ISO 100, you know, at 200th for a second, the ambient light would be very low, you know, it would be almost dark. And if I tightened up the aperture to sort of F8, it did go dark as well. I was shooting in manual mode. And then I just set up my um, one of my strobes on the little stand in front of the door, about 10 feet back, aimed it at the door and popped off the flash with the red filter on it. And it was really good. Now you could say, well, what, you, you know, you might as well go just taking a normal picture, even with a flash maybe, and you could have added some colour at home. And that's true. When, when you're doing anything lighting with, with, with strobes or flashes with coloured gels, you can do lots of this stuff at home in post-processing. But what you can't always reproduce is that randomness of playing around with colours and mucking around with the white balance on your camera as well to produce these different effects with the ambient light as well that's hanging around. But also when you mix colours um, that can be where things get very interesting. Now, I didn't really get a chance to do much of that which I'll explain in a minute but if you can imagine if you've got say two flashes um, one's red and one's green if you were just doing one flash, then yeah, you could apply a coloured filter in Photoshop and, and apply a red filter 
or, or anything really to, to give the photo a red uh, a hue um, but if you have another flash that fires off as well so you're mixing different colors that random effect that, that you can get um, can be very um, unusual and especially when you combine that with your white balance so if you can imagine you had something like um, I don't know uh, uh, a tungsten white balance on your camera and then you so you so basically your camera's getting rid of orange but then you had something like a, uh, a a yellow filter firing and a red filter firing where those colors sort of kind of combined and you would get get orange those bits would appear to be normal and then the other bits would be would be different colors there's all sorts of random ish effects that you can introduce so it's good fun to play around with so I've got my nice red picture of the main gate at Fort Brockhurst then what I'll do is I'll put put a couple of pictures on the uh, in the show notes over at robnunphoto.com and then I put a violet filter on and fired that at the secondary gate which is just a little bit further up but that was quite good and with that one I played around a bit with the white balance and the ambient light and then I thought right okay what we'll do next um, I was I'd become quite aware that <laughs> there's quite a lot of wildlife at Fort Brockhurst and as I was popping off these flashes I don't think they were particularly pleased there were lots of birds and they kept flying away I thought no this probably isn't the best thing to do I don't really want to disturb the wildlife so I went round to the other side of the moat and there's a big tree a big old oak tree and I thought haha I'll light this from below and it might look quite creepy so I got one of the strobes out and took some test shots well took some shots and then I got one of the other strobes out and then that's when I found that one of the the batteries in one of the receivers was going flat so I didn't have any range so that was a bit of a bummer but the real problem I had was that it was getting really dark and I quickly found out that I couldn't see well enough to focus the camera I mean the autofocus just wasn't working and I couldn't see well enough to uh, see what was going on playing around with, with my strobes as well and I also became very aware that if I dropped anything the only torch I had with me was the little torch on my phone, which isn't that bright. You know, if I drop something, I wouldn't have much chance of finding it. And also, you know, I'm standing on a path next to a moat, and I started thinking, whoa, you know, I could fall over here. So I fired some more stuff off, but you know, I had the big learning curve that if I'm going to do anything like that, when you're working in the dark, you need a torch. So you need like a head torch to help you focus the camera when you're shining at things, and also to help you actually actually see what you're doing. But I was pleasantly pleased as a first effort with the shots. You know, they're nice and basic, but it shows it's something that, that can be done. And the kit worked. A lot of this is just testing the kit as well and getting myself familiar, familiar with the kit. Um, the other photo book I got out on was on yesterday because luckily enough, kind of, Suzanne and Oliver have both joined the local gym. Um, and they're having a great fun down there but the problem I have because my job uh, the hours are so long um, I never really have enough time you know I have to leave for work at 10 past 7 in the morning and I normally don't get home till 10 past 7 at night and by the time I've had some tea I probably won't really fancy going down to the gym and it's not really my thing treadmills and stuff I'd rather get on my bike now I do need to lose an awful lot of weight you know I'm well I'm well over overweight now I weigh almost 17 stone which is the heaviest I've ever weighed in my life but you know, I've been going out for walks and I, I will be getting rid of that and I'm cutting down on the, on the junk 
but what that does mean is there's a couple of hours every now and again when Suzanne and Oliver go to the gym where I can just consult my list of projects, you know, shooting locations, run off and go, go and do some shooting. But yesterday it was throwing it down. It was raining really hard. And I thought, oh, what am I going to do? But, you know, you know, when you got in your head, you think, I'm going to go out. I don't care. I don't care if it's raining. I'm going to go out. Now, bearing in mind, I've only got a 350D, so it's not weather sealed. And my lenses aren't weather sealed and anything like that. So I kind of, kind of went out. I thought, where am I going to go? I thought, well, I really need to go somewhere where there's woods. Because I can't be out in the open when it's throwing it down. Because, you know, I am going to get just soaked. I and mean, it's going to ruin my kit. But at least if I'm underneath some cover, then... Um, you know, I've got a bit of protection. So I thought, I know, I'll go to, there's a place called, um, I think it's the Alva Valley Country Park. It's not really, <laughs> there's a lot of MOD land around Gosport. And this is another bit where some of it's MOD land and some of it's owned by a trust or something or other. But basically it's 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 open land. It's, it's quite nice. Now there's a wooded area um, and then there's an open like heathland. Not, not very big, but big enough to walk around. And there's, uh, like a, an artificial lake that's been made um, and I'm sure it's very beautiful and nice day <laughs> when it's throwing down it's not so but I, I thought no I'm going to do it and there were some interested like walkways that I took pictures of it was really damp though because it's in a uh, damp underfoot as well because it's in like a uh, a river basin I think you'd call it like a, lots of it is almost like marshland um, and because it's been raining almost constantly for the past four months in the UK the ground is really muddy um, but there's some rather cool, uh, like, raised pathways. Uh, you know, when I say raised, I mean, like, raised about a foot with, like, duckboards that goes through some of the wooded areas. So, it's, you know, it's, it's quite eerie, some interesting trees. Um, I took my flashes along to maybe do some more of those type, type of illuminated shots. But, to be honest, it, it was raining quite hard. So, what I was just doing was whipping my camera out, taking a few shots, then putting it back in the bag just to keep it from... Um, from uh, getting damaged um, and that kind of made me think again going back to the new camera stuff you know is it worth buying something like a instead of a 550d getting something like a 50d or uh, like the 5d something that's a little bit more weather sealed because I do like going out even in bad weather but I'd hate for it to frazzle my DSLR you know um, so that was okay when I got home I was very careful to lay everything out and let everything dry, dry out my camera bag um, before I touched it or turned it on. Um, but that was a nice little walk. So, you know, even if it's raining, grab your kit and go out. You never know, there might be a break in the weather and most of our kit can handle a little bit of um, uh, moisture on it. I mean, you wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to stand out in the pouring rain with my camera, but if it's from underneath some woods and it's just, you know, the odd drop that gets on it, it's, it's definitely, definitely fine. Now, this week as well, I've kind of had my first go at doing more of a long-form video for, for YouTube. Um, to say my videos are ad hoc is, is an understatement. Basically, I get an idea for a video, or I've got some kit that I need to review, or a book, photo book or something like that, and I set up the camera, do a couple of checks, start recording, do it in one take, add some titles in Premiere Elements, squash it down and send it to YouTube, but that's it, you know. I very rarely do second takes because I just don't have the time and I don't plan it or anything, but I thought, no, I want to do a more in-depth video. Um, and I got a question from Ian Miles, hi Ian, about depth of field. Um, and what you're saying was that 
lots of Canon cameras, the, the, the more entry-level ones, like the 450, 550, etc., and the older film ones, used to have, uh, well, still do have, a function called A-Depth. And I remember I used to have it on my EOS 50 uh, E film SLR. And what that was, it was a really useful um, feature. What you would do is you would take your camera, set it into that mode, and you'd focus on something that you wanted in f uh, the, the, the far limit of where you wanted something focused. Focus on that, press the sh button, focus on the nearest thing, and then the camera would choose an aperture where all of those things in between would be in focus. How useful was that? Really good. But they don't put it on their more expensive cameras. I haven't got it on my 350D either. Um, and he was kind of saying, well, you know, how do, how can you get around this? How do you know what's in what's in focus or not? So. What I thought I'd do is I'd do a video on depth of field. And if you go to robnanphoto.com, you'll see the... I'll put a link to the video on. And also, if you can't see the show notes for show 218, if you go on the right-hand side of robnanphoto.com, somewhere down on the right-hand side, there's this thing that says My Videos on YouTube. Click on that. That'll take you to all the videos on YouTube, and you'll be able to find it there. So I thought, right, I'm going to do a proper video this time, which is in different sections, with me actually going out and taking test shots as well. So... Go and have a look at it if you've got some queries about depth of field. There's probably lots of mistakes in it because, again, I'm doing it off the cuff. But it's a little bit more. It's about 20 minutes long, but it kind of I go into explaining what depth of field is and how you can control it. So I thought, as I've done one for YouTube, I might as well talk about it in the podcast because it is something we kind of come back to every now and again, but I can't remember the last time we talked about it, so I thought, I thought I'd go for it. So, again, if you're cool with depth of field and don't need anything... Uh, any more hints and tips about it then by all means turn the podcast off um, but uh, if you uh, want to carry on listening then, then by all means do so and if I've left something out or I've got something wrong please email because I'm very good at getting these things wrong because you kind of have so many assumptions so depth of field is the amount of a folk about of a photo that's acceptably sharp in terms of distance from the camera so think about it. you're standing there with your camera and there's a person say I don't know 10 feet away and you're doing like a portrait of them um, and so you want the, so the depth of field would be the amount of the, of, of the picture in front of that person and to behind of that person that, that's in focus so it could be that you want a big depth of field let's say they're standing in front of a beautiful vista with mountains in the distance and there's like some flowers in front of them so you want all of that in focus. It could be that you want to concentrate um, attention on them. So you'd want a small depth of field, so you just want them in focus, maybe like only their eyes, and everything else is nice and soft. And that's basically what depth of field is, and it's one of those uh, artistic considerations that, that, that we should think about when we're taking photographs, because it changes the look of them. Compact cameras, because they have very small sensors, and the way that the lenses are set up normally have pretty massive depth of field on them so it's not something you really have to think about um, and having a big depth of field is a real boon because it means normally no matter what you do no matter what you focus on chances are everything's going to be in focus you're always going to get nice shots and one of the tricky things is when you move up to SLRs or DSLRs is that if you focus on the wrong thing what you wanted to be in focus will probably be blurred because because they're capable of producing photographs with shorter depth of field. So it's needs it is something we need to be aware of. 
um, and you also often might be in a situation where you want to focus you want everything in a scene to be focus, in focus so if you want everything to be in focus what do you focus on um, and that sort of thing so let's um, think about how we alter depth of field and and um, what are the ramifications now the other thing I'd say is whenever you're reading about depth of field or discussing depth of field or playing around with it don't get too hung up on the actual physics of what's happening um, because there's there's a difference between the reality of what the depth of field actually is in terms of inches or centimeters and what it appears to be okay because some of the things we do although they appear to change the depth of field they don't but don't worry about it you know if something appears to work then go with it if, if don't get too hung up on the semantics of of well actually you know the depth of field hasn't changed it's just you think it has you know because you'll see these discussions on websites and in articles but don't worry about that so let's go let's let's go back to the beginning so we want to control depth of field now the most basic way we do that is on our cameras by changing the aperture and the aperture is the size of the hole in the lens that lets the light in that you change normally to adjust your exposure so as your if you, so you would go to aperture priority mode on your camera and normally if you're in automatic or program the camera's doing this automatic you go to aperture priority mode and if you've got a kit lens it'll probably go from something like f3.5 to f22 and they relate to the size that this hole is. Now, it's not a definite size, you know, it's not a, it's not like in millimeters because it's actually a fraction of the focal length of how long the lens is. So it's a fraction. But don't worry about that. All you need to worry about is the fact that f3.5, right, is a bigger hole than f22. And the bigger the hole, the smaller the depth of field. So if you want a small depth of field, you choose a small number if you want a big depth of field you choose a big number and that's that's it really so you would just change your depth of field so if you wanted a very small depth of field and you were focusing on somebody you would go to say f3.5 if you wanted a big depth of field and you wanted the stuff behind them in focus you go to a larger f-stop which is another name for aperture or f number and so i don't go to f16 focus on them and whatever's behind them probably will be in in, in focus too and that's the simple way of thinking about it um, and that's basically how you're changing the depth of field with the settings in your camera as well as which is kind of it's, it's not really a setting but it's what your camera's doing the focal distance so where you're focused what's being focused on your focal length which is how long your lens is and then the other two things are how far away you are from your subject and how far away your subject is from the background. So we've talked about aperture. So if you want a shorter depth of field, use a, use a bigger hole, use a smaller number. Um, and then if you want a big depth of field, use a higher number. But one of the most effective ways to do it is to change how far you are away from your subject and how they're far away they're from the background. So if you take in, for example, let's take the, the case of uh, that person standing in front of a beautiful vista in the background, but we want that background to be, um, sorry, sorry uh, we want that background to be in focus. One of the things we might have to do is back off a bit, because you might find that if you're standing right next to them 
and focus it on them say you're you're sort of four or five feet away it would be very difficult to get a massive depth of field where they're in focus and the backs in focus unless you do something a little bit later on so you might have to step back a few steps however if say someone's standing in front of a there's a wall behind them and you want to take a nice headshot of them one of the simplest things to do is just make them stand further away from the wall because then hopefully the depth of field will have dropped off by the time it gets to the wall and the wall will be nice and blurred so that's, that's nice and easy isn't it so think about that one just think about what the background looks like because we should be doing that anyway and move your subject further away and then it won't be won't be in focus now the next thing we can do is we can change the focal length of our lens so we can zoom in we can zoom out or we could physically fit a different lens to to our uh, camera longer lenses so anything from sort of uh, 50 mil onwards are more flattering to take pictures of of people than wide-angle lenses okay um, and the other effect that longer lenses also have is that they tend to compress the scene so things that are further away seem closer together I've mentioned it before but imagine that type of scene where you're standing in the middle of a road with there's no traffic and it's a straight road and it's disappearing into the distance along the side of the road are telegraph poles if you use a wide-angle lens those telegraph poles will start to halve in height really quickly as they move away from you so you get like these these dynamic receding lines these diagonals that are receding however if you were to take a telephoto a zoom lens or a longer lens and say zoom to 100 130 all of a sudden as you're looking for a viewfinder those telegraph poles those telephone poles that were originally sort of receding really quickly all of a sudden they seem to be a similar height now they are, the, the telephone poles haven't moved um, all that's really changing is your perspective but that's very important because what it's doing is it's bringing the background closer together so if you're using a lot so if you're doing a headshot of somebody with a wide angle lens so you've just got the head in the frame in the viewfinder you put a telephoto zoom on say a hundred mil or a telephoto lens and then you you have to walk further away don't you to get the same same framing of their head in the viewfinder but because of the way that you're, you're you're now further away from the subject and further away from the background the relative distance of you to the subject and compared to the other lens has changed and the background relatively speaking is now closer to the subject than closer to you what that means in reality is that as you're looking for a telephoto lens the background appears closer to the subject because it's blurred anyway the blurriness has been magnified and so it appears that the background is more blurred as I said before in reality if you did go to somewhere like dofmaster.com and enter the figures of your focal length your f-stop and your distance to subject you would find for the same um, framing of a subject at the same f-stop it doesn't matter what lens you've got on the depth of field is always the same so if for example you've got a 50 mil lens um, at f uh, 2.8 
okay with a headshot and you were to 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 check the uh, the depth of field the depth of field would probably be say they were i don't know 10 feet away say the depth of field is i don't know 7 inches or something like that if you were then to double the focal length so double it from 50 to 100 but get twice as far away the depth of field would still be the same however it would look like the depth of field had got smaller because the background will be magnified so the blurriness gets magnified so that's a really important point again don't stress about it don't worry about it just accept the fact that it works um, so there we go now the other thing that I didn't really mention in the video that I mentioned here as well is that the quality of those out of focus areas varies on the lens as well so sometimes it's referred to as the bokeh or bokeh or whatever that's the kind of phrase that describes what the out of focus areas look like how pretty they are if you like um, and how it looks depends on mainly depends on the lens really it depends on the number of aperture blades in the lens how many elements are in the lens what the coatings are in the lens all that sort of stuff so what you find is some lenses might have a smoother bokeh or bokeh um, than um, other lenses um, but again really that depends on what your background is if you've got a very busy background you might find that the bokeh or bokeh, bokeh looks better if you move to a simple background or vice versa so what we've kind of done there is we've kind of approached the way of controlling your depth of field if you want a small depth of field look you know that classic could be a person could be a flower um, anything you want to isolate by making the depth of field appear small in other words you want the background to be blurred and as we said the way that you do that is you choose a small f number on your lens so f3.5 f2.8 f1.8 etc you move your subject further away from the background you yourself you use a longer focal length say anything from 50 mil to 150 mil for people um, but have the same framing and that will appear to make the depth of field smaller and that will uh, really help an awful lot I mean f as a final aspect to that what you tend to find is um, you, you'll find a sweet spot with your lenses that, that you'll use that you really like um, um, on crop sensors actually that what one of the really nice cheap lenses you can get is the 518 for Nikon Canon Sony the 518 is always a cheap lens and you can shoot it at 518 and because it's slightly telephoto on a crop sensor body you know entry-level DSLR it, it, it's quite nice it's not it's, it's not an unflattering lens to use unless you're coming in uh, really really close but you do have to be very careful because the depth of field gets very very small I like using my telephoto lens my 55 to zoom at around about 100 mil something like that and I like the look of the photos that, that, that uh, I get out of it that way but play around and you'll see taking it to the other side of it um, where you want everything in focus in a photo um, there's, a, there's a few things to think about the first one is if you're thinking uh, what, what aperture should I be at in general as I'm running around and shooting stuff you know that, that would give me an acceptable depth of field there's, there's a couple of sayings that you can remember f8 and b there is something that uh, old photojournalists used to say this was mainly due to 
the fact that um, they were shooting with cameras where they weren't looking through the lens and so you'd say f8 and be there and f8 under most situations will give you an acceptable level of depth of field so whatever you're pointing your camera at will probably be in excuse me in focus the other side of it is to remember this is if you're using a tight aperture say f16 f22 if you focus about a third of the way into the scene everything else will be in focus and lots of it will be in focus up towards the camera as well you might find you have to use a um, tripod because f16 or f22 um, the shutter speed goes up considerably and so there's a chance of getting uh, camera shake or subject shake um, and also f22 your camera's dust on its sensor really does show up on areas of uh, continuous tone so skies and uh, painted walls that sort of thing so watch out for that now if you really want to get specific there's lots of apps you can download for your smartphone you can go over to dofmaster.com and they've got an online one as well and in that you can put in different settings so you could say right you know I've got an 18mm lens on a Canon 350D if I focus it at 10 feet f8 it will then tell you what's in focus and it also give you the hyperfocal distance now the hyperfocal distance is the point at which everything else in the photo is in focus and it can be quite quite close um, let's have a look I'm on Dofmaster now let's see computers running a little bit slow at the moment let's see what we've got what's coming up here so I see here we go Canon Digital Rebel 350D so I'm running at 18 millimeters which is the wide angle I'm doing at f16 um, <laughs> f16 on the 18 millimeter lens on my 350D uh, if you focus to what does it say something that's 10 feet away everything that's from 2.6 feet in front of the camera to infinity will be in focus will be acceptably sharp not bad 2.6 feet away that's not very far as well and that's only that's at f16 um, so the hyperfocal difference for that lens at 18 millimeters f16 is 7.4 feet so that's 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 uh, not bad is it that's not bad at all. Sorry, the hyperfocal distance sorry, is 3.56 feet, which uh, is uh, pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. So it shows you, at tighter apertures, your depth of field really does expand. Uh, <laughs> another one more thing, though. You would think that f22 is the sharpest aperture for your lens, wouldn't you? Because everything's in focus. It's not, actually. What you find is lenses are designed to be very very sharp around the middle sort of apertures sort of f8 f16 that sort of thing um, f5.6 on the on the faster lenses so watch out for that to do and, and the beauty with digital is that you can bracket can't you so you can take one picture f16 one at f22 one at f8 change your focus distance that sort of thing but hopefully by talking about these things today and maybe if you watch the video on youtube as well it, it, some of your questions about depth of field and controlling depth of field why you would want to control depth of field and what you can do maybe uh, I've answered it if there's any bits I've got wrong or missed out by all means send me an email scalespeeder at gmail.com um, and remember if you've got any questions or things you'd like me to address 
send me an email as well. I'm always looking out for ideas for shows. Everybody, keep up the good work in the Flickr pool. Remember, it's free to join if you haven't done already. Um, there's some great stuff going into the assignments for, uh, I think it runs to the end of the month, which is Spring and High Key. Uh, thanks to everybody who's commented on the blog and on Flickr. Thanks for everybody who's done their iTunes reviews. Really appreciate that. Thanks to Everyday Jones for their intro and outro music. But most of all, thanks to you for downloading and listening to the podcast. My name's Rob from robnonphoto.com and hopefully pretty soon I'll see you on Flickr.